The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. We're coming to you live from Salem, New Hampshire, and today we are going to discuss recall training. Coming when called. Yes, this is a big one. This is important. We're designating the whole podcast to that, but first we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day. (coughs) All right, our quirky tip is, if you're using a long line to train your recall, get a brightly colored long line that contrasts the grass, because my lovely husband over here has lost quite a few long lines in the grass, or if he goes to the beach with like a dull orange long line, he loses one. So make sure wherever you're training, your long line contrasts that environment so you don't leave it behind. The more obnoxious, the better. That's right. And I'd want to say happy sobriety date to Scott. This yes. This is a big day for Scott. 33 years yep. without drinking alcohol. Yeah. Today. Yeah. I I'll think have... I might have a glass of champagne to celebrate. <laughs> I'll have some wine uh, for him <laughs> while I watch the This Is Us finale tonight. And um, our thoughts and whatever you say now, thoughts and prayers and everything else. But for everybody in Texas, it's a hard world out there and um, a lot going on. And we feel terrible for those families. No kidding. <sighs> not easy. It's better to own dogs than have kids. I guess so. But yeah, who knows? Dog parks could be next. Okay, so we're going to be discussing recalls today. And um, this is an important one. This is a life-saving command for us. I think it's important for everybody. Uh, you know, I hear this from my clients fairly often. We're never going to have our dogs off leash. We don't really need to worry about that. And I tell them, you know, it's when the dog slips out the front door unexpectedly, that's when you need your recall. You know, a dog yeah. slips out of the car door when you go into the vet. You don't want them running around on the on a busy road. That's yeah, it's sure. always when you don't expect it that it's going to happen. But, I mean, this is like a, a heavy topic for us. We really um, are big on recalls with our own dogs. And we may approach it a little bit differently than some other trainers out there. The first thing I'm going to say is if you have a recall or a come one called and it totally sucks right now, I would go back and retrain it and change your command. That would be our very first advice is if you've been saying Rover come for the past six years and maybe one out of 20 times the dog even looks up to respond to you, I would change it to here with me, whatever you're going to do, but have a new word that's something new and enticing and we'll give you some suggestions on how to build that up. So tell us a little bit about your recall training because I'll come from some different perspectives Well, what I would... um highly suggest to people and my clients is to have a vision of what this behavior is actually supposed to look like. A lot of people, yeah, they think, oh, call the dog and the dog comes. But when I'm trying to help people teach their dogs to come when called, I want the dog to come straight from point A to point B. I want the dog to run as fast as it can, ideally. And I want the dog to stop right in front of the people within an easy uh, distance that they can grasp the dog's collar so that yeah. they can pretend they may be putting a leash back on the jo- on the dog. So having a vision, a clear vision of what this behavior is going to look like before you start uh, will allow you to train towards that behavior and be very clear with the dog. Because, you know, I see people, uh, when I evaluate, when I get there in the front end, I say, does the dog come and call to say, oh, yeah. And they'll call the dog, and and maybe the dog will walk over a little serpentine, sniff once or twice before it gets to him. And then they reward the heck out of it when it gets to him. And I I tell people, 
you know, you're rewarding, you know, a really substandard kind of behavior there. You know, if you want yeah. to have a good recall in training, make this thing look as close to 100% as you can, knowing or expecting it to drop off in the real world. Let's say it drops off even 15, 20% of what you're training. If it drops off that much, it's still going to look good. It's going to yeah. look, and you want something that's very good. Nothing's perfect. Something speedy. Nothing's I will perfect. say, even though you're talking about how so many clients don't have an ideal recall, you did do a session, I don't know, a few months ago, maybe almost a year ago now. It was wild. Scott though. goes out um, 147 for an initial consult, and he says to the lady, he goes, all right, if, you're, if you can call your dog off of this cheese, she goes, my dog has a great recall. He goes, if you can call the dog off of this cheese, I'll give you $100. And the dog came right off. He put food yeah, out and turned around. So we refunded her partially for the end home. So it, it is important that... If you think that you do have a good recall, you're testing that situation, right? So, yes, in plain day sight and everything, in this situation that so many people do is dog sit, stay, call them to you. We would recommend you never do that. If you need to get a CGC or, you know, you're training in a sport where you have a recall where the dog fronts to you, train that, you know, very sparingly. If that is the only setup of your recall, sit, stay, dog come. One, you're blowing your sit, stay. And two, it's such a sterile situation. It's nothing like a dog running after a deer or eating some kind of, you know, horse poop or something out in the world or chasing other dogs on the beach. Like, I want the dog to be coming back to me as quickly as it runs towards the ball, as quickly as it runs with the other dogs. The same speed and enthusiasm. And Scott always says, and this is a great point, the faster the dog coming back. Yes, the more reliable it's going to be, but the less distracted the dog's going to be able to be as well, right? If your dog's just like hum-de-dum-de-dum, and then all of a sudden a butterfly goes by, or it catches a scent of another dog. food on the ground, something like that. Yeah, that dog's not going to be coming to you. And of course, the greater the distance, the more difficult the recall is going to be, but train all distances. For people that take their dogs to the beach, we recommend a whistle. Teach the dog a whistle recall. It can cut through the waves. It can cut through all that distance. It's a hard space sometimes to use your voice to project. But recall training is essential. It is literally life-saving, you guys. It is the most important command you can teach. You hit on several different things there, but getting back to the first point you made about the sit, stay, come... The only place I ever see that is in a canine good citizen test. Yeah, some sports and, have it, competition yeah, obedience but, or whatever. But combining behaviors is not a great way to go. And what you're combining is the sit, the stay, as well as the come when called. You know, and um, you wind up, something's going to suffer there when you're training. So you don't want to be, and what's going to suffer is that you're, you're building anticipation into your sit, stay, that they're going to jump and run out of that, which you don't want. Yeah. And the other side of that, that just says, you know, you want to be able to call your dog off of a deer or something. When you do a sit, stay, come, you have total engagement with your dog. He's sitting there, he's looking at you, he's waiting for you to give the cue or do the, you know, whatever that is, verbal, physical, hand gesture, whatever it is, and then they, they know what to do. But that's because they're engaged, they're watching you. That's uh, when, not real when they're, when they're re- In the real world, they're not burning on you. Yeah. If they were, you wouldn't even need to call them. Yeah. They're out looking at something else. They're running to go play with another dog. They're doing something where you want to call them back to you. So you need to teach them to have what I tell my clients, have an ear out for you. Yeah. You know, you're in their head so that even if you clap your hands or cough, they're just double checking back. Oh, did you want something? It, was that for me or what's up? You know, that kind of thing. And that's a good point. That brings me to 
you have like a colloquial type of recall, like an everyday recall, and then have a recall that you've really thoroughly trained that is like if your dog is chasing a squirrel into the street, you use that recall. I would say, I say to my dogs, sink come or vital here or something, I don't know, maybe once or twice a week max. Like for the most part, it's just kind of like, come on, let's go get over here. Just informal stuff. The less frequently I'm using this behavior that I expect to be 100% and super intense, the more powerful it's going to be in our opinion. And make sure that you continue training the recall. It's not just like, okay, I spent a month on this and we're all set. We're ready to go. A recall is a lifelong thing. You always have to be putting money in the bank. One thing both Scott and I are really big on is restrained recalls. So if we have a client dog, especially like a younger dog who's really into food or even toys, and especially with our own performance bred dogs that we're raising, we're always teaching restrained recalls. And I'm sure we've done this before with the pig on the podcast, but someone's holding the pig back. The other person's over I there. Might, I might tease a little really bit. Really excited. Initially with some food or yeah, a toy. Yeah, just so the dog knows what's going on. I take off running. The dog wants to chase me. When I call the pig, Jess just <laughs> lets it go. And there's running. There's chase involved. There's a lot of joy, a lot of speed involved. If your dog is a toy dog over a food dog, this is a great time to bring out the tug toy. It's better to be interactive on the other end when you're receiving the dog rather than just like chuck a ball away from you. If your dog is a food dog, use your highest value treats for the recall. We cannot stress this enough. I'm sure we've said it on at least a dozen podcasts, but save the filet mignon from the night before that you guys didn't finish. Save a little piece of salmon that's cooked without bone. Have something super savory that the dog is not used to. Not your same Charlie Bears, not your same Bill Jack, not what you train with every day. When that dog hears your recall cue, it's like, oh my God, awesome. Here I come. Nothing matters. And he's racing back to you as fast as possible. And I would say if you're, say, Saturday morning, you want to take your dog to the beach, get him off leash or take him out hiking, uh, and you normally feed your dog in the morning, yeah. I wouldn't feed my dog yeah. that morning or it would be a very small token breakfast. I want the dog hungry on the hike and I'm going to bring some real high value foods so that when my dog's off leash... The dog is just kind of bouncing around me the whole time anyway because it wants some of this high-value food. I'd rather have that kind of engagement than a dog that wants nothing to do with me or doesn't care and just wants to run out yeah, there on the beach. Yeah, and just full from breakfast and starts, and starts eating, you know, barnacles off rocks <laughs> and all these crazy things that dogs do, you know? All right, let's go to break super quick. And when we get back, we're going to give you guys some more tips to revamp your recalls. Want to keep up with all the latest from the Quirky Dog Podcast like me and Murphy here? Then make sure you head on over to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Or if you prefer to listen to the madness, go on over to iTunes or Spotify and follow the Quirky Dog Podcast. And hey, while you're there, leave a rating and review and let them know what you think of the show. Until then, keep it quirky. I just wanted to add, um, before I forget, that, and I see this with with clients and, and a lot of people in general, uh, when they have really pretty good, um, what they feel is good control of their dog, when you do call your dog to you and you are hiking, you're moving, you're walking, your dog's maybe 50 feet up the path, you call them back, I would highly suggest that you complete the exercise. And a lot of people don't complete the exercise. They call the dog formally, they say, dog, come. The dog comes running back to them and they keep walking and then the dog just kind of walks with them a bit and then yeah. takes off again. So that's where we use the informal stuff. If I'm going to tell my dog to come, I want them to come, sit, and I'm going to somehow let them know you did a good job and now you're free to go play again. Because if you call them, in, call them and don't complete the exercise, what's going to happen is they're going to 
they're going to not complete the exercise either. They're going to come yeah. running, and then they're going to be like checking you out. Eh, you're not going to do that thing with the food, or you're not going to pull out a toy, so I don't need to get all the way back to you. I'll just get within 10 feet of you, and then I'll do my own thing. And there is a time and a place for that, but don't overlay your formal command with and that allow behavior. that to be the behavior. Because yeah. when you need it, they're not going to come back to you. They're going to come within 10 feet, and then you're going to be yelling at them again, hey, get back here. You yeah. Know? And you don't want it to be a catch-me-if-you-can game, right? We always teach our clients that when you call your dog, dog come, reach down, grab the collar, give him a piece of food. Even if you let the collar go, the dog shouldn't just take off right then. We always say release the dog out of that behavior, tell the dog free. Scott's really big on breaking down the recall into two segments. Do some six-foot leash training in the kitchen. Dog come, get a cookie right in front of you. It doesn't have to be a formal front just for pet dog training, but it's a behavior. It's an end behavior that the dog's doing. Dog come, dog come. You can get 20 of those. And then you get your longer recall practice. But it is so, so super important not to be just anticipating, oh yeah, I can put the dog on leash whenever I want to without actually practicing the behavior of grabbing the collar, hooking the dog up. Sometimes, especially even if we're at the beach, I'll call the dogs, put them on a leash, walk 10 feet, and then re-release them back out. But I want that whole like ritualistic behavior of, okay, you're going to be on a leash now. I'm hooking you up. That doesn't mean your fun is over, but that was the point of me getting you called back. If we see a loose dog on the beach, no matter how unruly or well-behaved it looks, we normally just call our dogs back and walk past with our dogs on leash because we're all dialed in and whatever the other dog decides to do. It's a pretty common activity. Our dogs are very used to that routine. Yes, and I would... uh getting back to breaking it into two parts. I tell people there's the obvious getting from point A to point B, but then there's teach the dog what you want to do, the dog to do when the dog gets to you. And that's the stuff you can do in the house. And I want to create this uh, physiological Pavlovian response, ideally, where you say come and the dog's like, oh my God, yeah. this, I'm drooling. There's something great. Or they're looking for that ball. They're crazy. They're in drive for the ball just on the word come. So that happens... Uh, with a lot of reps of come without the distance because you're only going to do, if you're working on come and you say you've got 30 feet between you and the dog and you have someone else helping you create that, that separation, uh, you may get eight or 10 reps. The dog needs a break. Everybody kind of needs a break. Uh, and the dog's only heard come eight or 10 times in that session. Whereas if you're working on just the come and the dog is, and I'm not even six feet out. I mean, it may be a six foot leash, but I'm holding the, the leash at two feet. When I say come, I'm backing up. The dog's coming with me simultaneously. There isn't even a sit, stay, come. It's just I say come, back up, food, come, back up, food. So now it's very similar to the way I teach the bed. If I want that dog to have a real strong response to place or spot or bed or whatever that's going to be. I'm putting them on the bed, giving them a treat, releasing them off, putting them on. A lot and, of they're, value and they're learning free too at the same time. Yeah. They're learning that release cue. So there's a lot of fun and there's excitement in getting on the bed, getting on the bed, getting on the bed. Because when you put them on the bed and you're working on your time, it's not the most fun for the dog to be hanging out on the bed when you're eating a pizza and there's pizza on the coffee table and they're looking at what's up. That's, you know, I mean, that's the end practical result of having a good place command or a bed command, but to get them enthusiastic about going to a bed or enthusiastic about coming, continue to build value in it. And I would touch on that, you know, once or twice a month. And I have found that people, especially with the e-collar work, you know, I do a lot of e-collar work with people. And when they learn that they can get their dog to come with an e-collar, 
quite often they the, just rely on the tool. Yeah, they don't build up. You know, they don't maintain some value in the word and, and building up that other end of it. And uh, I want the dog to be coming whether there's a collar on them or not. So, you know, try to maintain some balance and getting back to it. Teach the the obvious point A to point B running, but then work on your end behavior and that collar grab. A lot of people say, why, why do you want me to grab the collar? Why do you keep telling me to grab the collar? Well, I want the dog to look forward to you grabbing the collar, first of all, so they're not shying away from you. And the purpose of it is so that you can put your leash on the dog. So obviously, we're not concerned about putting a leash on the dog when we're training. But if the dog was loose, you want to call him. Maybe you just want him to be used to there's that There's another behavior. dog that is aggressive, and the people are yelling, hey, my dog isn't friendly. You call your dog. You get him by the collar. You clip that leash on him. Yeah. And since we touched on methodology, I'm glad that this came up. We are big proponents of if your dog has not had a good recall for, you know, five to seven years, it's a rescue, it's some sort of beagle mix, whatever else. The e-collar may be your best bet to get the dog off leash, 100%. We are very big on when we teach a recall with e-collar training, it's overlaid with our voice, with the owner's voice, right? So dog come, that button's being tapped on come. A lot of the e-collar manufacturers will teach you, you know, call the dog once, then maybe give a warning vibration or a warning beep, and then call the dog with the stimulation. And all that's doing is making sure that you're always married to your e-collar, for your come when called training. So if your dog is, you know, going out first thing in the morning, slips out the gate, may not have the e-collar on, the battery's dead, whatever else. We don't want you relying on that tool. If you're overlaying the stimulation with your voice, that means the dog is now responding to your voice. You can get away from that tool and everything else. So be conscientious of how you're using a tool if you are using an e-collar. And I also want to say, if you don't want to use aversives when you're training come when called, I have done that with both of my dogs. Susan Garrett has an amazing course called Recallers. I checked yesterday. Um, dogsthat.com is her uh, uh, website to get to it. It's not open for enrollment all the time, but you can get on a wait list. There are so many games. There are so many techniques. There are so many tools. I mean, Scott saw it. When I raised sync, you know, I was doing call-offs at, at French ring practice. Very, very reliable stuff. So if you are looking to go that route, it does take a little bit longer. You do have to control the dog's environment, but it is very capable and it's something that can be done. If you're somebody out there that's like, I want to go off leash hiking with my adult dog next month, then look for other methodologies. But it's not just a one size fits all situation. And if you are using a long line, make sure that one, you're letting that long line drag before you decide to totally take the dog off leash. That is not where you're like, okay, the dog's coming, the dog's coming, I'm holding it. No, make sure that if the dog's dragging a 10 foot drag line behind them, they're still responding just as well to you before you make that step to go off leash. Because as soon as the dog knows, oh, you can't control me without the line, then very quickly you're married to equipment again. And that's not what we want for you. Yeah, getting to the long line work, if you're doing it by yourself and you're calling the dog and then pulling them to you because they're not paying attention, and that's what I would recommend, um, what you need to be careful of and be conscious of is because as soon as people start thinking about having to do two or more things, it's, it's a big, freaking, yeah. <laughs> really complicated all of a sudden because it's something that's not normal in your everyday life. So now you're thinking about, okay, I got to pull this. I need food. I got to call the dog. I, and then the order gets screwed up because you're thinking about the last thing you're supposed to do rather than the first thing. And if you, you want to make sure that the first cue that dog responds to is the verbal cue. Mm-hmm. If you pull and then say come, 
what may happen when you drop that leash is that you call the dog doesn't come because the cue has been pulling the leash. Yeah, they're only and responding to the physical cue. So I'll hold the dog and I'll hold the leash and I'll say, call the dog and then pull, give, pull and run. So they start pulling and I won't let go of the leash. And they're like pulling and I won't let go of it. And they're like, well, why don't you let it go? I said, you haven't called the dog yet. <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, but it's really important because the dogs are very literal, very literal. They're, you know, they learn by body language first, but they are learning. We don't know what we're teaching half the time if we're not very conscious of our body. Yeah. And video your recall sessions too, just to make sure they're going, you know, as optimally as possible. If you do have a dog that slips out of your hands on leash, slips out the door, something else, you don't have great training, do not start chasing the dog, you guys. This like game of like, I'm coming after the dog. Oh my gosh. Almost never works turn and run the other direction and act their prey drive and act that chase. You're turning, you're running the other way and they're following you. That is a way more productive way to gather up a dog that doesn't have a lot of training than racing after this dog that's like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. They're crazy. They're coming after me. Yeah. I would say also, I mean, and this goes for all dog training, but uh, like I'm working with a, a couple of clients now that have two dogs in the home. And fortunately for the dogs, I'm doing two classes a week with these people because they're not practicing. Uh, they, they tell me, oh, we didn't do anything every time in between classes. But two classes a week is enough time to start getting the dogs to come when called in the backyard. But I have to warn them, don't expect them to come in the front yard. Don't expect them to come at the park because yeah, none of this is being generalized yeah. yet. So I tell people, and people just don't like to train is the bottom line. They like to give their dogs treats. They li- And I'm like this with my dog a lot too. I like to be on the couch and I like to give him a lot of love and give him treats and he travels with me all the time. But he's always, he, not always, but he's off leash most of the time. So I need to make sure the dog, and I'm a dog trainer, of course the dog <laughs> has to be trained. But I mean, I'm not a, as fanatical as I used to be when I was competing all the time. But if your dog does come, it doesn't mean that you stop training and practicing until everything falls apart. Yeah. And quite often, once people get a recall, they're like, oh, this is great. And they move on to something else. And they start giving their dog this off-leash freedom in so many places that stress me out. I'm like, are you guys crazy? I mean, you're in a new environment. Just throw the line on him once or twice. Make sure his head's in the game before you just let that dog run, you know? Yeah. And when I touched on this earlier in the podcast, as far as, you know, train with distractions before you take your dog off leash or expect reliability, I just want to kind of touch on what I meant there. Train with distractions you can control. That is the best case scenario, right? So when I'm doing all my positive, you know, foundational recalls with my puppies, when I'm first recalling them off of other dogs, I'm recalling them off of other dogs that I can control. So if I say dog come and that dog doesn't come, I can lay dogs down at a distance that they were playing with. Their fun goes away versus if they're chasing after a deer, that deer isn't going to just drop to the ground if they don't listen to me. If you're using food as a distraction, have someone there that's very willing and ready and capable and it knows the person knows the drill, dog come closes the hand. The fun goes away. The fun is with you. If you recall your dog and your dog continues rolling in duck poop or whatever, or your dog continues, you know, frolicking at the dog park and all of this stuff. You might not want to become if they're doing that. (laughs) They're learning to blow you off. So be very conscientious of when you are introducing distractions, make them as controlled as possible. So when you cannot control the distraction, your dog's reliability is still going to be there. Yeah. It's really, really difficult to be in, to 
be able to have that situation that Jess is talking about where she has dogs she can control. But I remember us doing it. We had older dogs that we, she was calling off, I think it was Sink or one of her border collies, and the dog was playing in the yard with two other dogs that were ours. And immediately we were able to down the two dogs, the older dogs, mature dogs, so that the puppy couldn't play anymore. And then the puppy didn't come, yeah. but the play was over and at the same time. And they learn time. quickly, okay, the fun is going to be there. So make sure you're really setting your dog up for success here. Come but on called. Can I add uh, another, yeah. uh, something more realistic that people can do? Because I've done this with clients, and sometimes it'll piss people off. But uh, I've brought dogs to the dog park, not to go in the dog park, but to call the client dog off the fence. So now the dog goes up to the fence as all these dogs come up sniffing, hey, guy, you going to come in and play with us? And you're calling your dog away from that with a long line to see if they're not responding. Because if you can't call them off the fence, you're not going to be able to call them off once they're inside. You know, So yeah. it's nice. There's a big distraction. There's a lot going on. There's noise. And you're calling your dog away from that fence back to you. And most importantly, I would say that make sure whatever um, opportunities you're giving your dog off leash you expect them to call. If you don't think that you can call your dogs off of other dogs, they should not be around other dogs. If you don't think that you can call your dogs off of the waves at the beach, they should not be at the beach. Make sure your dog is set up for success and you've trained through these scenarios before you show them the situation. And I will say this, just because your kids don't listen to you (laughs) doesn't mean you can't have a dog that has some really nice training. Dogs are much easier than kids. They're not going to start negotiating about getting the candy and they're not going to do all this, you know, the stuff that that a kid would do. So... If you're just, and you know, kids are just as easy uh, as dogs, but it's just tough. It's tough with kids. They really will pull at your heartstrings and dogs do too. But for me, having a dog that has off-leash control is giving the dog a ton of freedom so that dog can actually run and you can see that animal just running around, enjoying itself. And that's great. That's why we get dogs. I mean, a lot of people just are so enamored with watching their dog run. And I can appreciate that, but at the same time, I don't want to give the dog that freedom if I can't. It's my responsibility as a, a dog life, owner it's a to life, make sure that dog doesn't get hurt. Yeah, it's a life-saving command. So please, revamp your recalls if it sucks. Build them up if you haven't next uh, yet. Next week, we are doing our long-awaited third-part series with Noel Nasca. But first, I want to close today. I uploaded last week's episode um, of the podcast onto Wavoto. Cami helped me out from the week after we filmed. We just launched our website, thecorkydog.com. So it was under three minutes, you guys, that I uploaded the podcast. I videoed it for you last night so you can see how simple it is. And if you haven't seen the Wavoto episode, head on back because it's a great platform to build a site. Thank you so much for joining us this Wednesday. And I just want to say, lastly, it- lastly, as, with, as it relates to this dog uh, recall stuff, if you have a dog that has any kind of animal aggression, long line, long line, yes. long line. Okay? 100%. Don't go to a place where there's no animals thinking, oh, we're clear here. We can do it. And all of a sudden, someone shows up, lets a dog out of the car. Long line. Safety first. Keep it quirky.
The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.